Next Chapter Podcast. The 500. The 500. J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition, so it ain't nothing to new. Hundreds more to go and in need of a friend. The king of peace for Angelo. Talking the 500 until the end. Talking the 500 until the end. With my man J.M. On the 500. Talking the 500 until the end. Yo, this shit slizzaps. This is Have You Seen My Baby? I'm telling you, this podcast is making me a Randall Newman fan. Randall P. Newman. I have no idea if that's his middle initial, but what I do know is that this dude consistently, consistently is blowing me away. This is from his 1970 record, 12 songs. Guess what? There's 12 songs on it. And it's also number three, five, six out of five, zero, zero on the five. Hundred, Man, we got a long way to go. Anybody know math? Because we got a while. Uh, what's up, podcast enthusiasts? What's up, Fleece Army? What's up, you kadoogly spooglies? I'm here in my new apartment in Manhattan in Gramercy. You can find me uh, living the life, enjoying my time here. Uh, I love being in New York, man. I'm, uh, I'm tired right now because every night tends to end around four or five in the morning and then I get home and then I watch like Man vs. Food or really what I've been really into recently is watching Family Feud with Steve Harvey. Have you joined the Patreon? Patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. Give us your money because we need help. I uh, spent so much money on this move and uh, we're paying all of our employees. This is a a difficult time for everybody. So if you can spend $5 and help us out because you love the show and you want to help support me finish this, because that's what I'm saying, man. If you want us to get to the end, if you want me to get to the end of this podcast, give us your fucking money. And and I, I only cuss because I'm an idiot and I don't know how to form real sentences without cussing uh me and Lekka, we need it Lekka dog she's here with me right now this dog you want to hear something crazy so i moved in i took my friend rosebud baker's uh old apartment she moved literally across the street she blessed me with this apartment this is a, an apartment i am never going to give up i'm going to airbnb it i'm going to sublease it but i'm never giving this apartment up from what everybody has told me you do not give up a new york apartment if your name is on the lease and it's dope and she told me I have this. She has this neighbor named Joanne who's very sweet, very New York, uh, but is going to meet me and, and love Lekka and just, you know, we'll be homies as long as I play by the rules. And I only brought from L.A. my Sono speakers. I don't know if you remember, they were a sponsor of the 500. But I, before that, before they gave me like three, nah, about $2,000 worth of speakers, I uh, I bought about 2000 So I have $4,000 worth of speakers and I need them in my apartment. Also, uh, just to let everybody know, like I'm listening to the albums that we're doing, like I'm like I'm getting ready for the Yardbirds. But 
I am listening to so much jazz right now, like Miles Davis, Oscar Peterson Trio. I'm listening to everything jazz related. New York is a jazz city and it's a perfect thing to listen to when you walk. And last night I'm at the stand and I get a text from Rosebud. She did the, if you don't remember, she's a great comic. She did uh, Vampire Weekend with me. And I remember when she did Vampire Weekend, she was moving into this apartment and was like, yo, uh, I just got the greatest apartment in New York City. And now it's mine, which is fucking cool, man. And she texts me. She goes, uh, Joanne just texted me. And it's like 2.30 in the morning. She's like, Joanne just texted me that, um, that your music is really loud right now. And she wants you to please try to keep it down past 10 p.m. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm not even home. And then I run home, jump on a city bike, pedal as fast as I can, get to my apartment. And what's playing? Fucking like Radiohead. Like, you know, what is that song? Uh, Burn the Witches. Like, and I I just feel so bad. And then I guess there was like a short in one of my Sonos speakers or something. Uh, so yeah, man, we promoted them. <laughs> Who knew that they would just randomly turn on and start playing Brit Rock? But join the Patreon. That's what I'm trying to say. And if you can't do that because you don't have the money, just uh, subscribe to our YouTube, youtubecom backslash Josh Adam Myers. Help support me because if you support the YouTube, uh, and I mean this, man, stop what you're doing right now and join the YouTube. Just subscribe. All the subscribing uh, really does help. It helps us be financially independent. Um, I want to break away from the machine. I want to rage against it. So help us. All right. Um, oh, yeah. So every night of the week, I'm at the Comedy Cellar. I'm at the Stand. Those are my two home clubs here in New York City. I'm doing a goddamn comedy jam in Los Angeles, August 23rd. The lineup is fucking sick. Burr, Haddish, Melissa Villasenor, Jay Farrow. Stay tuned. It's going to sell out immediately, L.A. So uh, I can't tell you the venue yet because it's so dope. It's, it's really cool. Oh, my God. Oh, dude, I got to talk about this. I have to talk about this. Um, I'm sorry this one's going to go long, but I have to. I went to go see Guns N' Roses at MetLife Stadium. It was my first concert as a true New Yorker, um, and I was so excited. My friend Brian hooked me up with tickets. Uh, Incredible. Brian Klein, love him to death. He manages Duff, and we became homies over the last few years through Bill. And um, and this is the third time I've seen Guns N' Roses. And we had insane seats. 13 rows back. I could see everything I could touch. If I ran, if I ran to the stage, I could touch. But no, but security wouldn't be able to stop me. I'd have they'd have no time. I was that close. And so I'm so excited. Every time I've seen Guns N' Roses post the reunion, they've been incredible. Axel's voice was on fire. But man. <sighs> How the mighty have fallen. And the band ripped. They sounded so good. I don't know if Axel was dealing with something or it's just age or... Man. You know, they're hard songs to sing in his defense. Hard. But it was... I think he was singing, like, as, as my friend Katie Riggs, my vocal coach, whose father is Seth Riggs, who is arguably the greatest vocal coach. He, he coached uh, Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston and a few others. Um, she would say that that Axel was probably singing you know, above his head voice because you know the notes are like, but I think he's almost whispering it like, dude, it, I have a video of it. They were they ripped. Dude, the show was so great. I'm just saying like. 
you know, you get to 60 years old, and it's just, it was, it was, you could hear it. And, um, I mean, maybe it was just an off night. Uh, but go see them. Please go see Guns N' Roses if you've never seen them, because they are still arguably one of the best bands. Slash, Duff, uh, the, the keyboardist, Dizzy, and their drummer. I mean, incredible. I think it's Tommy Stinson is on... Um, is this bad? Should I have not said this? They were great. I can't thank... I, I'm a huge... Everybody knows how big of a Guns N' Roses fan I am. Go see them. You have to before, you know, they stop doing it. Um, it's just... It's like, fuck, man. All right. I'm sorry. That was my rant. Um, God, I just like you guys so much. I felt like I should be honest. Okay. Let's talk about Randy Newman. So this is our second record uh, that we've done on the podcast. Uh, much like I've said before, you know, I-, I didn't know what to expect. I only know Pixar stuff. So uh, each record that we've done, Good Old Boys and now 12 Songs, has been a record that I have thoroughly enjoyed. I love the humor in it. And I I just, I mean, you can't not listen to Randy Newman and understand how much of a musical genius this guy is and how he writes on a level that some songwriters only wish they could even touch. And and it's funny. And so today, oh shit, Luck, Luck is knocking over the mic. So today we got us a guest uh, that is extremely funny. We have the one and only uh, Tim Heidecker. Uh, you should know him as being one half of Tim and Eric Awesome Show. Great job. You've seen him in the Jordan Peele movie Us. Uh, him and Eric Warheim are uh, two of the uh, funniest people you're going to see. And absurd. And I've watched so many hours of their shows. I love them to death. And Tim is a fun guy to talk to, man. Like, I was a little nervous because, you know, I never met him before. And I'm a fan. So uh, he was just the perfect guest for this. And then we find out later that he actually had Randy Newman on his podcast. I think the day that we taped this, he taped his own because he has a show called Office Hours Live. It's a weekly call show, uh, which you can find at patreon.com backslash office hours live. And um, I wish he would have let me know because I would have been like, dude, we could have like fucking talked about what you were going to talk about. But great episode. You guys are going to enjoy it. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free anywhere you get your pods. If you listen on Apple, leave us a five-star rating. Leave a review for me. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. And you can go to my website, joshadammyers.com, for all tickets and links to shows that I'll be doing. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan at 500 Podcast with Jam. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, Randy, do you want to intro the show? Sure. Here we go with number 356 out of 500 with the 12 songs about me, Randy Newman. So we're just flying by the seat of our pants, dude. Great. Wherever this goes is where it goes. Dude, we might not even talk about Randy. We might just talk about, we might talk about Monsters, Inc. for the next hour and a half. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so I guess, so I guess let's just dive right in because, well, the first thing I want to tell you is I actually wore this Temple Owls jersey for you because, because my dad uh, went to Temple. And in the 80s, he turned me on to John Chaney and Mark Macon. I don't know. What year did you go to Temple University? 
Uh, like 94 to 98. So 94 to John, so, John Cheney was still there. Oh, yeah. Um, Aaron McKee. Sure. Yeah. Aaron McKee, Eddie Jones. I, I have to admit, I'm an I'm an art I'm an art and snob. Uh, the, no. other, the art F. So I was, but the funny, <laughs> the funny, uh, the art F word. I was um, on the same floor as a lot of the basketball players um, in my freshman year, which was funny. It was me and Eric Wareheim, my my comedy partner. Uh, yeah. That's how we met. And it was us and a couple other film school guys, and then like the Temple basketball team. And so it's a very strange place to be. Just two very funny, like artsy, fartsy film students, and then like this six foot eight uh, yeah. starting center, Tony Batte. Yeah. <laughs> Not a ton of common ground, but no, but, it's okay. but they were like, man, those two white motherfuckers funny as shit. Yeah. Oh, we got a game. <laughs> we got to play UMass. No, I really thought yeah. we were going to connect over it. God. Sorry. It's all good, dude. I mean, I yeah, you know, <laughs> I, what what did I? It's it's like how much did I get out of a, a state school that had a film department? Not a ton, but I did no. meet my uh, my my creative life partner. So, which is beautiful. Which is beautiful. Yeah. And your creative life partner is John Cheney, <laughs> the coach of the Temple Owls basketball team, best yeah. defensive scheme creator in the history of the NCAA. Uh, that's the show, had, everybody. I also had Bill Cosby <laughs> speak at my uh, at whatever that's called what, when you graduate. What's that called? The graduation the commencement. ceremony. Commencement. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he spoke, and I don't. I think he might have been wearing sweatpants. You oh know? yeah, that was that was his level of commitment to the event. <laughs> so I'm letting everybody know that yeah. you got to pull your pants up and make sure yeah. you're wearing comfy comfies. Good for yeah. him. You gonna? I, I gotta ask this because we ask all our guests. If Cosby's coming to your town now that he's released, are you going? <laughs> I would, I would, if I, if I could sneak in, uh, I would roofie his, uh, his green room. I'd roofie the shit out of his green room and see what happens. Nice. nice. <laughs> All, right. All right. Let's get to, let's get to Randall Newman. Mm. Um, this is our second record that we've done uh, with Randy Newman on the podcast. And, you know, uh, Tim, for for me, I always looked at Randy Newman. This is this is prior to listening to the record that we did before, which was Good Old Boys. Good, good old boys. boys, thank you. Gosh, geez, my brain. Um, so we did Good Old Boys. Incredible record. Incredible mm -hmm. record. And also for for me, is somebody that literally only knew him from the scores that he did from I Love L.A. You know, I knew he was he was funny, but I I just I mean, truth be told, I didn't mm -hmm. take him very seriously as like a solo artist. And now after digging into him, I just keep feeling like I'm getting more mind blowing uh, experiences with every record that we've listened to. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Hey you, do you have any plans this year? 
<laughs> How's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2 020-d.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. So, so whereas mine started maybe a few months ago, uh, tell me about yours. Like, when did you first hear Randy Newman? Uh, I'm in the same boat, I think, but I might start 10 years earlier because I, uh, I, I grew up uh, certainly knowing I love LA, maybe short people, um, and but I loved his scores. I mean, I mean, we all, I grew up watching The Natural, uh, you know, with Robert Redford. Uh, and um, that movie was, we had the soundtrack to that. I just thought that was the most exciting piece of beautiful, exciting piece of music. And I just knew him kind of that way. And I remember, I guess in about 2001 or 2002, I had a friend who was, uh, had a friend who was uh, Randy Newman's son. It was kind of like one of the first sort of you know quasi or related to a famous person person i've ever met and uh this guy named john one of randy's sons and uh i was like oh man i'm such a fan of your dad and he goes oh yeah what's your favorite album and i was just like eh. <laughs> wally the natural <laughs> soundtrack uh and i really just didn't know that he had this this sort of singer songwriter 70s uh back catalog um and, and so I, I kind of lodged that in the back of my head. And then a, year, a few years later, I was living in, I just moved to LA and somebody had recommended this memoir by the guy, in the, this guy E from the band Eels. You remember the band Eels? Oh yeah, I love um, Eels. Yeah. And I, some, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was a huge fan or anything, but I kind of um, uh, read this memoir just because it was recommended. And in that, he talked about his, obsession with Randy Newman, specifically good old boys. And when somebody goes deep into that and sort of talks about, this is a record I couldn't stop listening to. And I listened to it for a week, nonstop. Uh, that makes you like, that made me perk up and like dig in. And it really hit me at the right time in the right way. And so that was, that record's kind of my entry point. And then yeah. actually, you know, like Nielsen, uh, I was also a big Harry Nilsson fan and finding Nilsson sings Newman is another classic album that uh were you know it was very very strange because randy newman wasn't very well known he was more known as like in town as a great songwriter or an emerging songwriter and had put out a couple albums and or maybe just one album and harry nelson was like pretty big and he decided one of like his next album was going to be just covering all randy newman songs which is really strange you know to think about like making that move as a as a successful artist yeah um and so that's like a nice entryway too because like i think we all can get it out of the way that like randy newman's voice much like bob dylan's or uh, you know other people's voice sometimes becomes a barrier for entry because it's just too idios idiosyncratic or too grading uh not pleasant to, to some people you know yeah, i get that yeah it's not he's not you know he doesn't have a velvet voice like neil diamond mm -hmm. you know not saying that 
maybe I'm the only person that feels that Neil Diamond has a velvety voice, but right. but Randy has a, a certain style and all of his songs just it's it's like it's almost like he his voice is him trying to just like play a joke on everybody, but it's yeah. but then it's like you're like, oh wow, this is incredible songwriting. All right, so 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 continue what you're saying. So you listen to the Harry Nielsen record. Yeah, that and good old boys. And then I just went down the rabbit hole into uh, this record, 12 songs, Sail Away and, you know, all the rest. I mean, at some point, I I, I don't know how far into like the 70s and 80s I go. I, like, I feel like, uh, but, uh, but, you know, I think Bad Love is a great record, which is 99. And uh, he always like, there's always every few years, he comes out with kind of a great song about the times we're living in. He, he made, I don't think everything he's ever done is, you know, something I'm going to listen to every day. And I do go through like periods where I get really deep into him and then I need to take a break and I don't need to hear Randy Newman on the radio necessarily. But he's, I think what opened, what opened up in me, what about him that opened up in me, I've always done music. I've always made music going back to high school and before that, you know, like, I think this is true with a lot of comedians, like a lot of us start wanting to do something creative, um, wanting to express ourselves in various ways. A lot of times the first thing we do is we get a band together, like, cause it's a social yep. activity. And so I was just a huge music guy and I loved um, the Beatles and sort of the classic rock scene and, you know, Dylan and uh, that was kind of my thing. and. Um, and then I kind of just drift and I also loved comedy and I drifted towards comedy and I kind of, the first thing that struck for me was comedy. Like the first thing that, that gave me an opportunity to be creative professionally was through my partnership with Eric and, and making funny stuff and music just didn't seem viable. And I also just wasn't probably good enough and I didn't really have anything to say in that space. But I always found ways to use, you know, have music in our work and 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 write music. And then when I kind of tapped into Randy Newman, I realized you could, uh, you know, because I would just separated music and comedy so much. And I know there's like Weird Al, and there's there's ways to to do both. Yeah. Um, but there was something about the way Randy could be could put himself into a character and and be funny, but and then like. Uh, two minutes later be really sad and also two minutes later be talking about um you know race or politics or religion um and be, just be going back and forth in very clever melodic um sometimes really funky sometimes really uh pretty ways that i realized like oh i could i could come i could try to write music sort of in that style where i can either write in character or i could write ironically um but not but but the quality of the music can still be important oh a hundred percent a hundred percent there there's there's something like i said there's something very very special about this because i love how you said the comparison between with comedy and music because that's a hundred percent true about everybody I, I mean i do this music comedy show called the goddamn comedy jam where comics uh do stand up then they tell a story about a song and then they sing that song uh with uh with my band and it's mm -hmm. to see how many comics like want to be rock stars or fall into that so easily because there is a, a similarity uh definitely 
between the performance of comedy and the and the same feeling you get from from being with the band. Yeah. Um, so before I go any further on that, I just want to know, like, what did you play in the band? I mean, I played guitar and, you know, mostly guitar, just not a great guitar player, but just kind of, I mean, I was more of like a singer and a songwriter. So I would be in various groups, various different incarnations of uh, friends. And, and you know, t- some of it is awful. And just, I mean, all of it's awful if you yeah. go back <laughs> far enough, you know, <laughs> but but there was actually there was always comedy. There's always a little bit of humor in it or trying to be funny. And, um, you know, I think only in the past few years have I like as I've put records out every few years, like have I had the confidence to like not only be funny and like actually talk about my own experiences a little bit. But I feel like when you're in your 20s, like what the fuck do you know about anything to sing about? And that yeah. hasn't been sung a million times already. So, you know, uh, I just felt like everything, you know, my musical bug could be scratched through like, or my musical itch could be scratched through, you know, funny parody songs or pastiches of things. Um, but Randy's doing his own thing, which is like, like a weird layered thing where I think he he's able to like sort of uh, disguise himself into these first person narrator characters that he's singing about um but also probably tell you a lot about what he thinks about the world through those you know and it's very clever and um there's something very absolutely uniquely american about the kind of music he plays where it comes from the like the lineage and heritage of the dixieland blues country you know base that he works from that when you tie that with his observations about race and women and men and men in general, like it becomes this really, really, really smart, layered, uh, you know, satire or observe, you know, he just becomes like a great American thinker about the about the 20th century, you know, in his songs. It's so much deeper than than what I think the majority of the public knows about him. It's like when you just take him at the surface of like, okay, it's the soundtrack for Beauty and the Beast or the soundtrack for this or the soundtrack mm-hmm. for that. You just write him off as like, oh, this is a guy just they call him when they have like a, a, like a Pixar movie. And then right. when you when you really I mean, this is just for me. I, I mean, listening to Good Old Boys, it completely blew me away where I was like, God, some of the shit he's saying is so relevant to what's going on in the world today and then he's saying it in such a funny way that you almost don't even realize that he's giving you this 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 look into uh racism in the south or or jim crow laws or or whatever it is and and with this record i mean it's let me let me let me see if i can find the bio for this in the background so we can pull that up so so here, so let's just go for a little background on what this record is. This is the second studio release from Randy Newman, came out in April of 1970. Uh, and of course, it features only 12 tracks, hence why it's called 12, 12 Tracks. Songs. Yeah. 12 uh, songs. That, uh, the other person, can you name the other person that's got an album called 12 Songs? No, I can't. Neil Diamond. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, that's Neil... the one he did with Rick Rubin, maybe? Yeah, man. Yeah. And it is and it is Neil at his full Neeliest. I mean, he is, you could feel the rhinestone shirt he's wearing with like the little like cowboy things on it, all acoustic. Right. My friend, uh, Tom Sharpling, uh, made this funny joke about that record and, and Rick Rubin about like, what is it that Rick Rubin does? 
I think what he does is just sends the band home. That's all he does. Just say like, <laughs> I don't know, play these uh, songs on your acoustic guitar. Let's try that. You know, and it's like, is that okay? Cool, great. Thanks like, a lot. All right, Dave Mustaine from Megadeth. I've got a, I've yeah. got a great idea. It's just here's, you and the yeah. guitar and your here's songs your, about war. <laughs> yep. Here's your, you know, and that might be great. But I mean, probably, dude, Rick Rubin's producing. I'll tell you one thing. It's gonna sound full. It's gonna sound full. The sound, the drums heart. are gonna, the drums. Which even if he's doing a solo record, there'll still be drums yep. in it for some reason. We'll mm -hmm. have a really good snare nice sound. Room, nice room tone. Nice room tone. Very good. I met him at an Abbott Brothers concert, and uh, it's the same situation when I met him that I had when I met Rick Rubin, is that I flipped out, and all the people around me had no idea who I was talking to. They thought I was just talking to some... Um, I'm saying I say Rick Rubin, I meant Rick Ross. Yeah, but right. I met Rick Ross. I met Rick, my experience meeting Rick Ross, the hip hop star, was the same as meeting Rick Rubin. Where, where, like when I met Rick Rubin, the people around me were like, "Who is this this homeless guy that you were so excited to meet?" And I was like, "Oh, that's like one of the greatest producers in the last like 30, 40 years." And right. when I was at the Irwan meeting Rick Ross, all these white people came up to me they were like, "Who is that black guy that you were talking mm -hmm. to?" And I was like, "That's the black Bruce Springsteen." How do you not know that? <laughs> Well, um, since since we're on this topic, would you like to hear my meeting Randy Newman story? My God, yes. I mean, were you, were you, when were you going to bring that out? I'm I'm waiting for my my uh, on ramp. Give me here. it. I want um, all of it. I want yeah. all of it, Tim. I had, um, like I said, I knew his son, so that that's a side thing. But I didn't I didn't use I never used that to meet the guy after I became sort of a apostle of his. Um, but I happened to know the director of of Toy Story Three, a guy named Lee Unkrich. Um, and I just knew him through Twitter and he was a fan and, um, he was in LA, uh, scoring Toy Story three. And he knew that I loved Randy Newman. He said, said, do you want to come down to the, uh, scoring of where, you know, the scoring stage where they're basically recording the orchestra for Toy Story three. And I just, you know, said, absolutely. So went down there and there's the man conducting a, 72 piece orchestra in the scoring stage where they did, you know, the, uh, the Wizard of Oz, like this worlds of Hollywood cool shit were just kind of colliding. And yeah, man. So I didn't meet him there, but I saw him and I kind of was a get to got to watch him work. But then at the premiere of that movie, which I also went to, I saw him there and I said, okay, I at least have an entry into saying hello because I was at the scoring session. And I went over and he was talking to somebody. I politely said, oh, Mr. Newman, I was at the uh, scoring session for, for this movie here. And he goes, oh yeah, what, what did you play? And I was like, oh man, this is already awkward. No, I was, and I had to explain, no, I was just visiting. And you could see him kind of being like, oh, okay. Like he thought I was in the orchestra, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, which I understand. And then I was, so I was like, strike one. And then I just followed that with like, but I, I just want to tell you, I'm like such a fan of your old records and, you know, this. and I just, I don't know why I said old records, but he just gave me this look. He said, you should check out my new ones. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I get it. And it's that thing, a like never meet your idols because it's yeah. always uncomfortable for you and them. And, uh, and also like those guys, I mean, all these guys, they still want, to be relevant they still want to be loved for what they're doing now they don't I, and i feel that way about my own work like 
I don't care that you like something I did 10 years ago. Have you been, have you checked out what I did today? Cause that's what I'm actually interested in. Of course. That's yeah. what I care about. So, you know, then I saw him again cause I went to go see him at a festival up in Canada. Um, and I saw him in the airport and I knew just being like, I'll, I'll let the man be. I do yeah. not need to go and say, <laughs> uh, you know, like, hey, I saw you at the premiere of Toy Story 3. Oh, yeah. What voice did you do? Ah, here we go. Uh, Back in the stuff. No, you're like, no, I was I played piccolo in the orchestra. Yeah, exactly. I learned. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was cool. I'm, you know, it's 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 uh, it's I'll treasure the moment I got to just speak with him a little bit because I just do think he is like one of the one of the greats, one of the gods of 20th century uh, music. I gotta, I gotta Popular ask this. Music. No, I and I agree with you. I 100% agree with you. But I have to ask this just because you mentioned it. Because like, what is the utmost, most awkward run-in you've had with a celebrity? Because I know you probably met a bunch. Yeah, I mean, I've had a, a view 90%, you know, positive for sure. But I would think the 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 most awkward recent one was I I had this amazing opportunity to to work on a sort of a creative pitch with David Byrne. And I'm a, I wow. mean, talking yeah. heads up way up there for me, way, way we up had, there. We had oh. Jerry Harrison on the podcast. Uh, oh, cool. And it was great because it was right around the time we were doing Modern Lovers so we could have him talk about uh -huh. Modern Lovers and we had him talk about uh, talking heads. Uh, well, I'm sure he's had about... some, I'm sure he's had some awkward experiences with David Byrne too. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> some, so mine was I had this wonderful couple of days kind of just like talking to him about this idea and and really kind of, I don't know, we just had some nice, nice hangs and I felt like comfortable with him a little bit, which is very strange because uh, of, of what a icon he is and what he meant to me. Yeah. And then like a year later, he played in L.A. at the I don't know where one of these places. And um, we went we were invited by his manager and went went to sort of after show like party on the side there as you know which are never the great a great place to like hang I think generally because it's just it's like a wedding reception or something like and he was kind of doing that wedding reception thing where he's kind of going down the line of people saying hi and he got to me and just nothing clicked and there was no memory of meeting me ever and it quickly <laughs> went from like that to like the next guy and I was like oh man really hurt and i was so mad because i didn't want to do it I, w I wanted to stay out of that line but i was with a friend who's like come on let's get a picture with david byrne come on let's, he knows you you'd have a good you know i was like oh, i don't i don't want to put that on him you know yeah but, but i know he's got like who knows maybe he it was just you know i've been in that situation too where you just blank on somebody but whatever <laughs> but at he the looked inside... at me like what are you like it was more of like it was kind of a what are you doing here but also kind of like i'm gonna I'm going to play this off. Like I just um, now have to go over here, you know, like, uh, yeah. so, <laughs> and on the inside yeah. the whole time you're like, you know me. Yeah. Please. But we talked about something. life and you told me stories about <laughs> meeting Brian Wilson from the beach boys. And, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyway. you know, what's funny is, so the last time we did for, we did good old boys. We had, uh, I don't know. Do you know, uh, there's a comedian and writer. He works on marvelous Miss Maisel. His name is Jordan temple, uh, brilliant comic. Um, and he has a very, very similar story uh, about meeting Randy, but, uh, it, it's, what's so great. It's just that, you know, sometimes 
the you know meeting that that celebrity that you love it, it can like you said it could be this 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 short sweet thing which you're just like i met tom york at we both mm -hmm. did outside lands and it was so quick but it was like just perfect and then mm -hmm. you know and and sometimes we feel like we're annoying him sometimes we don't but either way it's like with with jordan it, it's just it's the same thing that kind of applies to this situation which is like that randy's new randy newman's music works on so many different people because jordan is you know i think a little bit younger than me maybe like 32 33 years old uh black dude and it's like he identifies with randy's music more than any other artist which yeah. is just so interesting and i yeah. think it is i think it is because of of the kind of music that that randy is kind of providing which is this you know these takes on society and with a little bit of humor intact. So of mm -hmm. course, Randy's going to make that joke with you, which is like, well, you got to hear my new stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's, that's, that's who, who he is. is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not vindictive or mean spirited. It's just, and that's the mode of communication that guys like that, you know, operate in, operate with. And I do too. And sometimes you don't think about the receiving end of that all the time. No, um, no, completely. Yeah. Do you, and also do he's you, like a 78 year old man or whatever it is. And I'm, a, you know, it's like, he's an older guy. That's like, probably, I don't know why I should connect with him. Like, I don't know. It feels like we're from very different backgrounds and generations. Like there's no expectation that I should suddenly become pals with him. And yeah, then even hope. if you, yeah, we, we always just have that nestle yeah. of like, man, this is this is it. I'm gonna meet Beck, yeah. and Beck is gonna just think I'm the man. Right. And instead, I scared the shit out of him and his children. Right. That was my run-in with Beck. It was, it was not good. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris, and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Um, so let's, let's talk about this record in particular. Yeah. Um, what do you connect with on this record? And, and, and uh, you know, like, how does it make you feel from listening to it, especially now as compared to when you first heard it? I think listening back to it, I hadn't listened to it for a little while, so I've been listening to it. It's a really funky, fun record in a lot of places. Like it grooves and it's got like a, a cook, cooking quality to it, you know? Like, yes. first, have you seen my baby? And mama told me not to come, which like is so funny that, um 
it's it was like a three dog night hit right yeah and it's not funny when three dog night does it at all it's like you don't think about it as a funny song but this is really funny um i think it's really funny this like it kind of reminds me there's this in the uh the movie the christopher guest movie about the folk songs um what's oh a mighty called? wind yeah mighty wind they had a song that the three of those guys had in the movie which was um never did no wandering and it was this like song about singing about how you never really went anywhere and this feels like a similar joke to me that like there's nothing there's nothing cool at all about the, the sentiment of that song like it's a it's a not a fun character to put yourself in he's kind of a, a whiny loser yeah who's like complaining about this party so yes. um but yet it has this groove to it um song rosemary too is like funky and just like uh really a great the band on this record is fantastic i don't like the, the songs that kind of confound me uh because i feel like maybe he's just hasn't dialed it in yet is the racial stuff where it's like don't exactly know what your point of view is on on like yellow man and underneath the harlem moon where it's sort of like i think it's coming from a good intention of like of recalling a, a like an early 20th century um simplistic i'm curious if there's more more out there about that i feel like on the next record on this is sort of like a, a proto proto uh you know uh political commentary style record from him it's not really there all there yet um, yeah you know he's like dancing around it a little bit then he comes in with well i think his next record is sail away and the first track on that sail away it's like that hits hard about race that song is basically from the perspective of a slave trader and the the one way message he's sending to africans that are about to get on the slave ship to come over to america with the message of almost like a cruise ship saying like how great things are going to be when you get to america yeah and that's so dark and so and so simple that you know you'd have to be very dim to not understand what he's saying with that song by not yeah. saying you know but you know when i listen back to this record i don't know if it's all there on something like yellow man or underneath the harlem moon i don't really know what he's doing there and maybe he's spoken about it or there's writing about it but adam let me ask uh, you a question I'm, not to cut you off adam can you no. find out how far after uh this record came out uh good old boys came out I think I'll tell you, I think it's like two or like three or four years because it's this record then right away is Sail Away and then two years later is is Good Old Boys. So OK, so and, and whereas Good Old Boys is like a very focused album where it's like you, a concept you, album, really. Yes. Yeah. Very, very. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's like his that's like his dark side, if you want to put yeah. it as that. <laughs> but but this one, I mean, I'm looking at some of the topics that he talks about. He's, he's talking about love. He's talking about sex. He is talking about racial prejudice. And he's still mm -hmm. once again, like he did in Good Old Boys, he's starting to talk about life in the South. Yeah, um, old Kentucky but, home. Yeah. yeah, but but in this figure this out. I don't know what's going on. I mean, you know, I was born in 1979, but like, you know, 1970 was when this comes out. I mean, how many artists do you think are actually tackling a lot of those subjects? Yes, love. Yes, sex. But I mean, racial prejudice and life in the South, especially a white guy doing that. You know, it's funny to think about 
that this is the same year that uh, the band the band came out the their second album and I hear a lot of similarities actually between this record and that record and just sort of the the general like um, basement tapes uh, this period this Bob Dylan the band uh, tip dipping into that old weird America um, storytelling and folk songs and and the and how race has really been you know, the central story in American history since the beginning. And it's not something that just came around with Martin Luther King. It's been throughout. And it's, you know, and when when Randy Newman kind of dips back into this kind of turn of the century sound, he's not doing it with nostalgic intentions necessarily. He's like recalling a period where it was probably even worse. You know, it was definitely yeah. even worse than it yeah. is in 1970. Uh, whereas like the band um, is doing it too, in a way with like, you know, the night they drove old Dixie down there's that's a that's, you know, a song from the southern perspective about, um, you know, losing the Civil War, yeah. which is, is like, a, is a dangerous, it's dangerous territory, you know, like to sing about and I think their intentions are right that it's sort of like the perspective of Virgil Cain in uh, the night they drove old Dixie down is sort of a guy trapped in the middle. He's just a poor, you know, dirt farmer, a white guy who gets drafted basically and is seeing his his surroundings destroyed by the North. And he probably doesn't have an opinion on race, you know. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm I'm maybe drawing outside the line a little bit. No, but. no, no, no. I think it's apt. I think what you're saying is 100 percent apt. I think like it's it's. <sighs> You know, especially right now with everything that's kind of going on in the world where they're, you know, we're, we're not trying to like hide the past and be like, well, we don't want to honor it, of course. And I, and I get the whole not honoring it, but this mm -hmm. is all stuff that happened in, in our American culture. And now there's this war between people that are saying like, no, we want to teach everybody about mm -hmm. what happened so we can learn from yeah. it and be progressive. Yeah. When then there's the other, another side that's like, well, let's just not talk about it anymore, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. which is insane. Or just but, talk about the very, just like stick to this very sanitized sort of children's book version of American history. That's not very accurate. Yeah. yeah, it's like there was slavery, then then Abraham Lincoln said no more slaves, yeah, and then yeah, it was yeah. a peaceful existence right. until, ha until George Floyd. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but I, that is that's why I think something like this, and even the bands, the night they drove Dixie down, is mm -hmm. so important because you can't hide what has happened and yeah. in our society. And so so to have an artist, and this is what's so fucking funny, is like if I wish the world would just be like, listen, stop, stop thinking he's only these movie soundtracks. Like this dude, it's like, I want to scream it from the mountaintops. Like, dude, you have a, you have a, a sociologist that is, that is funny. That is telling you about how yeah. fucked up shit was. And, oh man, it's like, I want to get Randy Newman's a God t-shirts. I think we should make yeah. those Tim. I think we well should do that. <laughs> We should tell I everybody. The, uh, I have the little criminals uh, poster up in my in my office down here. I don't know if you can see that. It's him on I the see freeway. It. But um, yeah, I'm just actually looking at like the, the lyrics of Yellow Man because that one does really because I feel like there's some songs where he leaves it off the he leaves it out of the uh, like the overt like it's in it's in the it's in in between the lines you know yeah 
And I'm like, well, that one, is it even in between the lines or is he just like, <laughs> you know, I don't know where it is. It's like, cause it has that Oriental style music, like the piano kind of, you know, those, whatever they're called, the fifths that sort of, you know, Kung Fu fighting style oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. tone. And it's sort of just like, what, it, I don't know. The, like, how did people, how did people process that? How did critics who were probably like, you know, uh, um, progressive minded for 1970 or whatever like is it what was the reaction to that i just so, really i mean so I've got, does anyone know i've got it all i've got it all i've got the critical reception uh, pulled yeah. up right now so the album got uh received positive reviews from contemporary critics okay so keith phillips from the av club which i think the av club back in 1970 no, good, I think for I, the huffington yeah. post <laughs> they, they were re yeah they were really they were really really small back then but it just it took off only 10 yeah. years ago but they've been reviewing ever since so this guy says uh began to gather a following beyond critics and fellow songwriters for the album that doesn't really explain anything let's see what rolling stone magazine said they gave it a rave review when it was released hailing the album as the full emergence of a leading innovator in rock and roll mm. and then the village voice uh, called it the best record of 1970, finding the songwriting, production, and performances superior and, quote-unquote, more accessible than the great but weird album that preceded it. So I'm looking at right. the reviews. I mean, nobody's saying... Let me see if I can find anything about the racial stuff. Um, nobody's really mentioning that besides saying right. that it's like you know that it's that it's the easy swinging satire of america that's what we get from a rolling mm. stone album guide um yeah i mean I, i'll just like attribute it to like in in the context of the album he's never he's like creating uh you know imagery of another time a lot of the yeah. times and and this sort of simplistic you know i can picture like the the Chinese American in the turn of the century, San Francisco, you know, as they're really considered a, a like literally like an alien from another country coming to, to America, yeah. you know? Um, and so that, that's like a part of, of American identity is our, is our weird relationship with, with uh, newcomers from the, that aren't, that don't look like us. So, you know, yeah. I, I, I just think like on this record, he's like, feels to me like he's he's like dabbling in something that he let that later goes on to kind of I, like become part of his like core identity as a songwriter so i just don't know if it's all there yet on this record but it cooks and it grooves and it's oh, like it, there's, it cooks there's just grooves. straight up great songs you know great like fun r&b songs i don't i don't you know i always say this about there's only a few artists that i believe this it's like so far in my life in my experience with randall newman i don't even know if it's mm -hmm. randall newman but i want to call him <laughs> that um, I don't think he's written a bad song. I don't think anything I've heard by him so far. Oh, I'm, I'm like, I, oh, I'm, there's I, no I skippers. Have I have a bad song. I'll, Which I'll one tell is you. It? Well, um, it's it's on his 86 album, uh, Land of Dreams or something like that. River, of, it's not River of Dreams. It's in the <laughs> middle of the night. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, the walking in. The walking. That's the that's Billy Joel one. I know it's not the same one, but it's called Land of Dreams. Did I say that Land of Dreams? In well, the land of dreams. Well, there is an, a very unfortunate um, attempt at rap, and uh, it's called Master Man and Baby J. And it's 1988, and it sounds like you know, like CNC Music Factory. Oh God, uh, Adam, pull it up. It. 
Adam, it's are you pu- fucked. Adam, I'll are you, you pulling that. this up? Because we have to. I have to hear Randy Noob. Go listen, everybody. I'm it's here to ex- say it is exactly. It's exactly what you just did. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you can't. This can't. People tell me that I brag a lot because I call myself the master man. Always talk about how I got dynamite in every hand. I don't want to. I assume there's a little bit of irony there and a little bit of having fun with the medium. I, I just don't want to listen to it. Like, I don't no, want that. No, God, no. I don't the, want that, Randy. And, you know, maybe he was like, hey, you know what? Maybe I got a hit with I Love L.A. Maybe I'll get a hit out of it. You know, like, <laughs> I do think there's like a craftsman quality to him. There's like a workman. Like, I'm a songwriter. I'm a pop songwriter. I can make hits. So yeah. let's keep. And I think he's probably always trying to do that, too. And that's probably a battle within him of like doing shit that's going to get him in trouble or is going to turn people off. And then his desire to have like another short people that you know is unfortunate because it it like defines him as a novelty act in some ways for people like right yeah. away yeah um and then you like but it's probably made his life a lot easier in other ways you know yeah so it's interesting <laughs> like you know you you battle this like no take me seriously but also um this is a silly i mean for short people is a silly song very silly and i guess it's about you know it's a placeholder for race or otherness you know and uh but it's supposed to be funny i think he would say like the intention of this is to be funny yeah um so it's funny song um anyways well here's you know what it sounded like i don't know i used to dj a lot of like company parties and they would always be they during after dinner they do speeches and then always like somebody in HR or some, one of the employees would be like, all right, well, we prepared a song, a little rap mm-hmm. song. And then yeah. they would do that. It would be right. like, well, yeah. Tina in HR gets yeah. paperwork yeah. done. You know, yeah. we're here to have fun. <laughs> and it's just, and I actually just made it even better. Like right. my, and, and it's, listen, is it a bad song? Yes. Is it the war song? Is it well? Let me rephrase that. Is it better than most people's other songs? Kind of. So it's still not bad. And also, yeah. we got a good laugh out of it. So in you yeah. know, if, if Randy I bet knew if, that, I bet if I bet if we brought it up with him, he would be like, "Oh my god, don't even remind me how stupid." You know, or like you know, he would have a sense of humor about it, and he wouldn't be like, "No, no, I was I, I became a serious rap artist there for a minute." But <laughs> He's like, I would assume that. that- He's like, I well, I was going to be working with Tupac Shakur, and then uh, it just went a different direction. So I went with KRS-One. Yeah. Like, wow, Randy, you're the man. And you know the the that's funny. You do his voice, which is not it's not far off. Like he he has a kind of voice that you know he's kind of talks like this. And the thing is, like he does talk that way. Like that's yeah. how his that's how he talks, and that's how he sings. So it's not like a he's not putting on an affectation to, 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 you know, that outrageous, like he, that's kind of, it's him. Like, so you, you're getting, it's like, I, I, I mean, I, I'm always drawn to like, if I'm going to listen to music. Most of the time I want it to be like a very active, um, you know, like present. I'm listening to somebody tell me something, you know, I can enjoy the music, but I want to hear like from this, this person's point of view, if it's Joni Mitchell or, or, randy newman like 
this is like a unique opportunity to kind of sit in a room virtually with somebody as they kind of share with you who they are, what they think about things. So, yeah, um, I love that he has that character to his voice and that he's able to use it. Um, you know, a lot of times for humor, say, you know, to be funny and to be yeah. conversational in the song and and have a character that uh, is doesn't sound like anybody else. I, I want to go with what you're saying. I think if he doesn't sound the way that he sounds, I don't think he even has a career being able trying to sing the 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 satire that he's singing. Do you know what Absolutely. I mean? Like if yeah. he had a, re- a really strong, like, you know, yeah. you know like, you know, it's yeah, just yeah. that wouldn't work <laughs> yeah, yeah. at all. It's yeah, like, yeah. he almost, he is almost a perfect, if you had to say who could write a song and sing a song about the Southern racism that happened and, and, and Jim Crow and this, that, and the other thing, it's like, eh, well, if it's, if it's too perfect, it's almost, mm-hmm. it's almost, it takes yeah. away from what actually he's saying. So in a sense, he's doing exactly the style that he should be doing with the, with the voice that he has, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And right, so in that me... period, well, I was just going to add one thing. I mean, maybe no, this is the direction you're going, but it's like in that little pocket of 70 and like 70 to 74, I think those three records we're talking about were the 12 songs, Sail Away and Good Old Boys. He's him and his producer, Larry Wanaker. Wanker? I think it's Wanker. Larry Wanaker. I, don't, I can't, I never know how to pronounce it, but they I thought put it was together. Waronker. We're all uh, Wanamakers. Wanamakers. <laughs> Lenny Waranana. <laughs> but they put together just a, ter- a tr- like an incredible studio band. Like the band on these records is half the fun for me. They they're so good. It's so appropriate for the kind of music he's playing. You know, Ry Cooter's in there. I think Jim Gordon yeah, got, and you got, you got some uh, people. See, so slide guitar is Ry Cooter. Great name, by the way, Rye mm-hmm. Cooter. That is a perfect rock and roll name. He you is, have he, uh, is, he is Rye Cooter. There's he, no question oh, about it. I wish my Rye name Cooter. was Rye Cooter. All right, <laughs> then you from then then you have uh, the Birds, Clarence White on guitar, and mm-hmm. the drumming of fellow Birds member Gene Parsons, and also mm-hmm. drumming by Jim Gordon of Derek and the Dominoes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's those are legends. Yeah, yeah. He and he continued to work with guys like that. Just super tasty you know soulful guys that were also and the, the sound of the records are just so clean and warm and you know it's the, exactly the kind of music i like to listen to from a musical place yeah let me ask you let me ask you this has has this record or has randy newman influenced uh anything that you've done in your career or even maybe like your writing process with eric um it kind of is a separate thing that the 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 it really has influenced the music I make, uh, but it has sure. not really influenced. I think the comedy, uh, I don't know if it's influenced it directly, but I think his general attitude and the general, um, you know, I'm gonna do what I do and you can ha- take it or leave it is such a good ethos. And I don't I don't think there's ever been a, as, as even though I said earlier, I think he does try to be successful. I don't think he's intentionally trying to um, you know, kneecap himself, but I think there's like the intention of, of, of being successful, but also like, I'm going to do my weird shit and you're either, you're either, you're either into it or you're not. And I don't really, I can't control that. Therefore I don't really care. Yes. I think like his energy there and, you know, he seems generally like kind of a humble guy and kind of a decent person. And so I think he's just like a good, 
person to look up to as an artist, you know, it's had like a long, and he's a guy that's had like a long career and that's cool too. I think, you know, rock and roll is not a long, doesn't yeah, last not a long. long. Game, yeah. Yeah. And, but there are people that have been able to do it and gracefully age into it um, in a way that's like, it's appropriate for him to still be singing these songs as an 80 year old man. Whereas you might be a little less, you know, forgiving of like Gene Simmons doing it, uh, you know, not a fan of him, but um, that's probably an extreme example, but it's, it's a little silly when Gene Simmons, I don't think Gene Simmons is 80, but he's going to be 80. He's going to be probably. And he's, <laughs> and he's still going to be doing a song called love gun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> An 80 year old man, like my dick, my dick. I guess it's just a state of mind, but uh, yeah, I don't know. There's lots of, there's lots of like things to look at Randy and, and you know become inspired by and and try to live your life that way yeah as an artist hey what's up my name's lurk and i'm the host of lamb goats van flip podcast every week i have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene big and small we also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up and coming bands on the show as well so come check out lamb goats van flip podcast so let me ask you this then if 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 there's a song on this record that you feel I don't know, is closest to your own work, which one would it be? Mm. Um, I mean, I, this record, there's other records that have the song that I think is that I think um, a wedding in Cherokee County is about as close to like the comedy I want to make as possible, which is on good old boys on this yeah. record. Um, you know, I just like the, the grooves of, uh, of you know mama told me not to come but also like i mean i'll say like let's burn down the cornfield is also dark and funny in its own way and creepy you know there's like a creepiness to some of his stuff that i think exists in a lot of the stuff i do in comedy that there's like an uncomfortable creepiness to to it all and a darkness to it that do you I and, relate so, to so do you and eric when you guys are doing when you guys are writing which like the show is brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, my, I have to give a shout out to my buddy, Matt Beinfest, because I know he's listening to this. He was the one that turned me on to you and mm. Eric. Um, I can't tell you how many uh, nights I've been high as balls, enjoying <laughs> your comedy, the Thank movies. You. It's great. Um, but like, what, what is in a sense, because you know, you're, 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 cause your comedy is in a sense kind of absurd, but that's what makes mm-hmm. it so great. Like, how mm-hmm. do you guys, you know, where do you get from sitting down to your buddy to being like, to getting, you know, what's on, uh, you know, great job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's various, various routes to that, but I mean, it, all of it's fairly boring um, except that, <laughs> there, you know, like the, the, to talk about it. I mean, I just, I think that the, the truth is it's like, what makes me laugh? What makes him laugh? What makes us, what makes, uh, us laugh together and then surprising ourselves and surprising what we imagine whoever's watching it um, and not repeating ourselves and, and, and also having kind of like a, a, a loose rule book or guide that like, these are sort of things that we think are funny. These are sort of things we don't think are funny. And yeah. Um, you know, but, and also like, I don't know, we don't, we never, we never overthink it, never analyze it too much before doing it. It's always sort of like, we don't have, I always joke that there's not like 
reams and reams and notebooks filled with un unproduced things. Um, it's always like when you have something, go with it and try to make it the best you, you got, you know, yeah. the best it can be and not overthink it. And hopefully the over the totality of the work defines it. Um, and, you know, working with other, like it's such a collaborative, it's not stand up. It's like a collaborative process of, of working with other actors and costume people and set designers and, and editors and animators. And like, it's a, it's a collective enterprise that sure. we're kind of, um, you know, the, the captains of, but ultimately it's a lot of people's creativity and input. Was there a sketch? Which that... is a really, really fun answer, isn't it? See what I no, mean? No, no, like... may, no, it makes <laughs> no, sense. I my, the question it's was, the honest, question was, you know? yeah, no, but I get it. Cause, but also the question was like, it could have gone in any way. And it was just a basic question, but really I ultimately got to the, to what I wanted to get to was this question. Was there ever an idea that you and Eric like fought over that either didn't get made or got made? What was the biggest sketch mm. idea that you guys had a disagreement on? I wish I'd, they, I mean, I don't want to be evasive. I don't think there was anything that we learned really early on that there's nothing to be gained by winning an argument over something as superfluous as a comedy sketch. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and that if some, and we learned that if somebody felt passionate enough to really want something, unless it was crossing some kind of line that didn't feel right for whatever sort of ethical reason or something. And I don't even think that happened, but there really wasn't an excuse to say like, I can, I would, I forbid this from going forward because you got to have like a give and take. So, but it almost never happened. And there'd be points I'd be like, I need, I don't want to fight for saying you something that you think is funny. Isn't funny. Yeah. The fuck am I, you know, I don't, I'm just a guy with my own sense of humor and it's not always the same, you know, and you get pretty, you know, you learn quickly, like, well, it's not just me that doesn't think it's funny. It's like everybody else in the room. And then you can, you got to check in with your pride and your ego if you're going to really keep fighting for something or argue for something. But, you know, in general, we've all, we've all, both of us have had our days when we're in bad moods and, you know, become difficult to be around, I'm sure. But in general, there was never like, nothing ever didn't happen. I mean, things don't happen because not, because both of us aren't on the same page, you know? You know, you just get to that point on an idea where it doesn't go very far because it goes, I don't know. I can't figure this out. Let's move on. Yeah. You know, yeah. but uh, I can't give you like a, a clickbait headline about the one sketch. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. All right. All right. We're done. We're done here. Yeah. yeah. Um, no waste. Um, all right. Let's see. Let's do some facts and let's get you out of here because I know you're on a time crunch. Um, all right. Here's some some rando Randall Newman facts. I kind of think it's just I kind of think it's Randy, but let's, I could let's be wrong. Find out. Let's find out. Is official, it, my guess is a official it, name is Randall. Randall. It is Randall. It is Randall Stewart Newman. Oh wow. man, he looks like my science teacher. <laughs> he literally. Well, that's looks the other. I mean, that's the other great love. The thing I love about him is like, aside from the music not being rock and roll at all, the way that he decided like this is who I am. I'm yeah. not going to put on, you know, the I'm not going to put on leather a leather jacket or dress like, you know, a rock and roller. I'm just going to be a guy who wears wears normal clothes and wears glasses and isn't worried about how I look. That is so cool to me to be like there who else is doing that? Like everybody else even in his peer group is is at, somehow affecting them to to a to a fashion that feels 
you know, on the fringe or, you know, I don't know if you're Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan's still kind of dressing a little like a rock star. Oh, yeah, in the dude. Early 70s, he, you know? he, he dresses like a, like a sheriff, uh, yeah, yeah, from like 1870, yeah. dude. Well, now he does, but yeah, like even back in the seventies, there was a, a consideration about like, I'm going to be kind of on the, a little bit of a, a weirdo here. There's a funny picture the other day, some posted of the Rolling Stones now, and it was like the four of them, which really should be five because they've had the goddamn bass player of the Rolling Stones in that band for longer than anybody else <laughs> that's been in the band. Yeah. Uh, and for some reason, he's just not in any of the pictures. Okay, what does that say about them? Um, there's the four of them. And then and the, the Charlie Watts, there's four of them are all wearing like silk shirts, the custom made scarves and all this stuff. And then Charlie Watts is there looking like he works at like T. Rowe Price or something. He's got like a sweater <laughs> with a zipper down and pants you know uh yeah there it is that's the shot and it's like, i love that there's just one guy in the band that just dresses like a normal man he's like you know i don't hero price dude yeah. holy so, shit look at yeah <laughs> so that's uh that's what, another reason to love randy is that he's like he, it is what it is he is who he is and uh he's not he's gonna put on a he's just gonna dress you know he's gonna put on a um for, he's put on a Hawaiian shirt, shirt. Yeah, he's he put wears, on a Hawaiian shirt, or he's gonna dude. put on a flannel shirt with a, uh, a, a, a what do you call it? A sport coat that's uh, the. the uh, yeah, he just sent. He's yeah. got sensible shoes on. Yeah, you know he's got mean? slacks on. He's got yeah. slacks on. He's got chinos. Adam, pull up the Google images of Randy Newman, and I bet you every outfit uh, that he's wearing, he could wear at like you know, like a not like a like a like a business you know yeah. outing where they're like, here mm -hmm. we go, pull them up. I want all of them. Look at that. Look at that. Every yeah. shirt. I mean, he is ready for a country Sport club. Coat. Why is he next to Chance yeah. the Rapper? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except the glasses, you know? And, the, yeah. and I always wonder about his, because uh, he's got this big curly fro, but then as an older man, do, do you lose your fro? Does it naturally straighten out when you get it short? I guess he's not doing a, he's not doing a perm. Back Eugene Levy. Look at Eugene Levy. Mm. Eugene Levy had that thick, yeah, you yeah. know, like curly Q hair. Mm. And now he has the straightest. I mean, he's got relaxer in it. I'm not saying Randy Newman's putting relaxer in his hair. Adam, find out if Randy Newman, what, he, <laughs> what his his hair treatment is, because yeah. that would be quite interesting for the last, to end the podcast on what uh, shampoo and conditioner Randy Newton. Because he looks pretty good. For some reason. Uh, he does look good. I'm a huge dude. I'm listen. That's that's the thing that I'm worried about as I get older because I still dress like I'm in Mumford and Sons, uh -huh. you know. And so I'm so worried that I'm gonna be that like 70 year old guy still wearing boots and you know rock and roll jeans and you know right. like it's I don't know. I still I still use words that I used in yeah. the 90s. I still say oh yeah. that's bomb. You know, there's a way there's a way to gracefully do that, I think, where you're not embarrassing yourself out in public, but you also are wearing something that feels comfortable for you. And, you know, I think a few years ago, I just started wearing black T-shirts and I yeah. found like a black T-shirt that I like. And I know it's just like, that's just what I'm going to do, like unless I'm going to a wedding or something or, you know, then you wear a, you wear a white T-shirt and I wear a white T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I got to ask, who's your T-shirt company? Who's the T-shirt company that you're buying from? Nothing uh nothing too exciting calvin klein um, oh, okay all right but they just i mean they they just fit they're just the, i've tried a bunch and they're the ones that fit right for my my lumpy body you know <laughs> they're the ones that like present the most uh forgiving uh yeah. shape of my torso <laughs>
Uh, Calvin Klein's solid t-shirt, bro. All right, yeah. let's do some facts. All right. Since the 80s, Newman has worked mostly as a movie composer. His movie scores include Ragtime, Awakenings, Love Awakenings. I haven't, I'm going to watch that now, just seeing The Natural, as you mentioned, Meet the Parents, and Seabiscuit. He has also scored several Disney Pixar movies, like we've talked about, Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., Cars. I mean, he is the man. Um, yeah. All right. He's also won two Academy Awards. Hmm. I think that's the big one. I think, I think Toy Story is, yeah, for, dude, he was, it's him, it's him, Daniel Day Lewis, Meryl Streep. So I want to ask you this on the flip side of winning two awards, uh, I want to go the opposite. What's the worst review you've ever gotten? Oh, God, so many. I've gotten so many bad reviews. Um, I mean, the, the biggest, the worst review. We made a movie, uh, Eric and I made our only movie called Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie. And it's great. It's a, it's a silly, you know, disgusting, uh, oftentimes lowbrow comedy. Um, and I, th- I have my issues with it, you know, but uh, Roger Ebert mm-hmm. really hated it. And it was one of the last reviews he wrote before <laughs> oh, dying. <God. laughs> and he really like... Um, it felt like in the review, he like gave up on, on life in the review. Like he, <laughs> he gave up on his, his vocation, you know? And, and it was really annoying because he, uh, he was like, you know, there's like fake names in it. Like their characters have names and some of them are funny and whatever, but he was like giving us suggestions on what the name should have been like, as like pulling names out of like a Marx brothers movie and like, yeah, just like missed it entirely. And, was just uh, offended by it and upset with it. And I was really hurt because I kind of liked him at the time for re- for like this period, like I kind of liked his writing. And then my dad was like, who the fuck gives a shit what he thinks? Like, oh my God, <laughs> like that loser that was on TV with his thumb all the time, like who cares, you know? And I was like, okay, you're right. And then I saw Adam McKay, who was a producer on the movie. And he was like, dude, that review from Roger Ebert was hilarious. Like, great work. You know, <laughs> like, oh, OK, maybe there's another side to this. It's almost, it's almost like a rite of passage. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is to get that is to get that review. I mean, dude, you got a, you got reviewed by Roger Ebert. I mean, him and Gene Siskel had their own show. Yeah. On fucking television. Like, yeah. speaking of which. I just don't just, like uh, I don't love the, I just don't like bad news, you know? And like, that's yeah. ultimately like, it's kind of bad news at first. And then you can see, but the, you'd be lying if you said that bad reviews are good for you. Cause they're just generally, they just kind of hurt you yeah. personally and they fuck up your movie or they fuck up your record, you know, because perception is 90% of what, how people receive things like, Oh, I heard that was good from this fucking asshole who writes a column that <laughs> as a, you know, is a total loser, you know? Yeah. I just saw this quote from uh, from Martin Short as he was talking about the movie Clifford. They did this whole like uh, oral history of the movie Clifford. And he at the end, he's like, you know, sometimes I do I do uh, talk show appearances and I'll look on YouTube and read the the, the comments under there. And I, if I see one that's like, you know, uh, I, I've never liked him or he's always been annoying to me or I, I, I Martin Short's just not funny to me. His reaction is like, I just imagine what it would be like to have dinner with that person and how boring it would be. You know, <laughs> what a boring person that person must be. And that like, yeah. make, and I love that. I was like, oh yeah, 
these people, I don't want to have anything. I don't have anything to do with these people. I mean, how, how fun would that be to go out to dinner with like a movie critic and they're like, you know, the, the, the pasta was bland and, uh, yeah, and undercooked yeah. and this was that, yeah. but Oh, what but the life. dessert was thrilling. It's like, all right, dude, just mm. come on, give us a break. Yeah. All right. All right. What else we got? Uh, he was, this is an interesting one. Uh, he was hired to write the score for the Harrison Ford movie air force one, but mm. his music wasn't patriotic enough. Oh my God, that's hilarious! <laughs> Get off my plane! <laughs> Get off my plane! Right. I wrote well, the song. He can do that. He can do that kind of Aaron Copeland, Stephen Foster sort of Americana, like this the music that they'd be playing at Disneyland kind of sound. But I guess there's always like a sadness in there too that maybe you don't want anything to do with in those kind of movies. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if that one would have would have no pun intended would have flown. Um, yeah, I, I think that you know I, I love I love the the Disney stuff makes perfect sense, especially as a as a third act for him. You know, going from songwriting to then you know, like I said, we've talked about this 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 satirist uh, musical genius. I'll say it, and then and then now to making these beautiful songs that children enjoy that are special mm -hmm. and about friendship and about love and it's. It's it's the perfect like I don't think that Harrison Ford movie, you know, would have that wouldn't have nah. No, that, it's, but, it's beneath you know, him. It's, it is beneath him, but it's a great movie. Gary like Oldman, the, everybody. You know, The Natural is a great example of his genius, where the 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 movie kind of plays into into what he's so good at the the Americana the the beauty of it, but also the melancholy of it, and the story of The Natural about this you know older baseball player who's not perfect is very flawed and has like it's a great american story it's not just it's not just toby keith or the, what's that fucker who sings uh um and proud to be an american oh bruce greenwood yeah like fuck him there's nothing interesting or clever about that that's just basic that's like a, a dullard's vision of america you know and yeah you got to have the good with the bad. You got to like be able to have some sadness and regret with sort of the the beauty of it all. I got to say this because Adam just pulled it up. It's Lee Greenwood. Bruce, Lee Bruce, Greenwood. I knew that. Bruce. Bruce I, I think Bruce, Bruce Greenwood. Bruce Dern or something. Is, is no, he's like an actor. I think. I think he's who's Bruce. Oh, yeah. Green, look up Adam. Adam. Look up Bruce Greenwood while I do the next one. He's a Canadian uh, actor and producer. Oh, okay, what's oh, he been? Better in? not get on his bad side. <laughs> AFK in thirteen days. Yes, yes, I knew, I knew that was him. I knew that was him. We pull a picture of him because once you see this guy, Tim, you're gonna be I like, I've seen him. him. He's got gray hair. He, he would play like a congressman or something, maybe. Yep, he, yep. he is Congress to the max. Pull it up, Adam. Where you got? Come on, baby, hit us with Bruce Greenfield. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce Greenwood, right? Bruce Green. There yep, he is. Got him. Good yep. old. God, he was gorgeous. Look at he's look like, at him. Uh, you can picture him at like a, com a Senate committee hearing, like uh, asking somebody a question. For sure. <laughs> but look, he was dreamy. All right, get this off my screen. Yeah. I don't want to look at this dude anymore. All right, uh, here is a good one. His songs aren't typically personal, which helps make him an effective writer for others. This is largely because of his lifestyle, which isn't very rock and roll, as we've discussed. Uh, he's quoted saying, what am I going to write about sitting at home and reading and playing with the kids? He once asked, wait, that's really I funny because I, I think that for the most part is true, but there's a line from him. Um, and I'm just going to look it up that kills me every time. And I think it is about him. 
Um, and I think it's the way he probably sees, and it's, it's, um, it's about, it's called My Country. It's on the record, uh, Bad Love. But now your children are your children, even when they're grown. When they speak to you, you've got to listen to what they have to say. But they all live alone now. They all have TVs of their own. But they keep on coming over anyway. And as much as I love them, I'm always kind of glad when they go away. And wow. that's fucking genius. And what yeah. it is, is like, I like to watch TV alone. <laughs> and I like it when they come over. But when they leave, and first of all, I don't know why they're coming over because they got their own TVs. Yeah. When they can watch TV alone. And uh, great to see you, but boy, isn't it nice when they leave? You oh my know? god, <laughs> it's so heartbreaking, you know. It's so, but do, it's so true. It's just that's it's so all true. we want. It's a, it, it's a fundamental truth that, like, we try to love, we try to be kind, and there's always something that's fighting against that within us. So, um, it's like trying to keep that those two things at an equal balance, or you know, well, be honest has, with it. But there has to be that mix. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, there's always, there's, there's some, you know, there's some truth in, in your art. There's some truth in mine. And then at the same time, it's like, you know, we, we see stuff and we're like, ah, oh, let me, let me write about this topic. And, you know, and that's and I the think, thing is, uh, that's, a, I mean, that, that, that's, that's the way Brandy Newman might've been feeling that moment. And that doesn't necessarily mean that's how he always thinks or always feels. And I find that there's a lot of the songs I write, there's some dark stuff. I put out a record called Fear of Death last year, and it's all about death. And and one of the lines is like, um, you know, fear of death is keeping me alive. That's what I'm really just scared to die. Like, I don't really care about being alive. I just don't want to die. Oh, and 100%. It's like, I don't think about that. I'm not obsessed with that idea. I don't think about that all the time. But when I'm sitting around with my guitar and that line comes out, I'm like, cool, that's cool. That's a cool thought that I just really had. And it's it's cathartic. You get it out and get it out mm -hmm. in the world. And somebody goes, "Oh yeah, I felt that way." Yeah, you know. No, nope, so completely. I think that happens with Randy all the time. I think he's sometimes a character. He's sometimes hiding behind things. But I think it is a good way to get to know the way the guy really feels. Totally, totally. This is a fact that I is I'm still mind blown, Adam. I want you to fact check this just as I say it. But uh, after Steve Martin came up with the idea for Three Amigos, he asked Lauren Michaels and Randy Newman to help him write the script about three silent film stars pre pretending to be actual heroes. So check the IMDb. I want to verify this because I didn't, I just pulled this one up quickly. Did he write Three Amigos? Adam, what do you got? My guess is he probably like sat around with those guys for a couple, like a week or something and threw a bunch of ideas out into the world and they, somebody typed them up, you know, or like, you know, it'd be cool if uh, they ran into some Mexican bandito and they <laughs> yeah. shot them up, you know, like, just like, like threw ideas into the pot and then gets like a nice uh, co-writing credit. I Did he get it? He does have writing credit on that. Yes. Yeah. He gets he gets an eight dollar check every six months. Yeah. Good for him, yeah. dude. Good for him. That movie made no money. Uh, great movie though. Great movie. Watch Three Amigos. All right. Rapid fire questions, and then you're out of here, Tim. Uh, favorite song on the record? Uh, I'll. Ma Mama told me not to come. Okay. So really? It, it's, you you. It, it, it's just it just. It's out of this record. This that that's the one that I would pull from. Yeah, or Rosemary. You, I'll say Rosemary just to be cooler. Rosemary. Okay, Rosemary's cool. But I got to ask you this as a follow up. This wasn't one of the rapid fire questions. Which version is better, Randy Newman's oh, or Three Dog Randy's. Nights? Randy's. Fuck. Fuck. Uh, Three Dog Nights. <laughs> fuck. <Okay. laughs> All right. Least favorite song on this album. Uh, you know, I think just because of the confusion about it, Yellow Man. I don't need to hear him 
I, I just don't like it. I don't think I okay. need that. What song on this record would you fuck to? Mm. Burn down the cornfield. There's something Ooh. simmery about that. There's something yeah, like dude. sultry on in that record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which one did I pick? Let me just verify. Yeah, this cornfield. I'd even do underneath the the Harlem Moon because it's yeah, kind of sweet. Yeah, that would be a good one. For um, sure. All right, and then last last one. Does this deserve to be on the 500 greatest albums list? And there's a follow up. I'm going to start adding now, which is why is this album important for the younger generation to hear? Hmm. Um, I'm not an authority on the 500 list. I assume it's it's vetted and well well manicured and curated. So I, I, I don't know how to speak to that, except, sure. you know, it, it's culturally relevant for his career and the content that this is, that, that it, it did break through uh, to a larger audience and became received well. So yeah, it's a significant record for, for singer, songwriter, 1970s artist. Um, and I would love to encourage younger people to find this, that there's a whole world of music that is, more of an active participation it's not just about like it's not that hard uh, around the world song that i keep hearing at at uh, you know lunch places where like you know that that you could just like experience this album as like a hang with this guy and it was recorded one day in a studio in los angeles and you can listen to him tell you stories or sing songs to you and uh, there isn't that much of that anymore, but yeah. there's it's all there to listen to on Apple Music or Spotify or whatever. So um, and it's a part, you know, he's tapping into like an earlier part of American history that I think is interesting. And and they're 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 swinging tunes. They're fun. Swinging tunes. hundred uh, percent. I can't agree with you more. And, and also, Tim, this was so much fun. So. Oh, yeah, it was thank, great. Thank you for coming on. Uh, promote away. Anything you want to promote. Uh, go ahead. I have a, a very fun podcast I've been doing now since, well, for years, but since quarantine, we've really taken it seriously, as seriously as we can. Office Hours Live, um, which is on all the platforms. We do it as a live YouTube call-in show. Um, and yeah, we do, a, my other show on cinema is available. I've basically gone fully independent. All the stuff that I'm not like casting or whatever, I'm like just making on my own. And it's all sort of behind different paywalls and stuff but yeah. you can find that show at, at highnetwork.tv h-e-i network.tv dude everybody check it out uh, Tim thank you buddy I appreciate it thank this. you man yeah take care guys all the best what did I tell you what did I tell you the one and only Tim Heidecker follow him on all social media at Tim Heidecker and make sure you check out his weekly call in show at patreon.com backslash office hours live get into office hours live it is a trip and make sure you check out his satirical movie review show on cinema which returns this fall only on highnetwork.tv actually it's pronounced high network highnetwork.tv but it's spelled h-e-i-n-e-t-w-o-r-k.tv thank you for coming on uh tim this was great uh we just listened to randy newman from 1970 we got the sloppy boys for new music this is a satirical rock band offshoot of the ifc sketch series the birthday boys their absurd songs and hilarious lyrics definitely take a page if not a whole chapter from the Randy Newman playbook and you're listening to their song Armageddon off their 2020 album Paradiso 
And you can find their links uh, to the music on our website, the500podcast.com. If you want your music played on this show, send us your song. 500podcast at gmail.com. Tell us what band influenced you, and we will play it on the show to help you out. Next week, Yardbirds. 1965's Having a Rave Up. Listen to it. Do your homework. Do your doodle. Oh, yeah. Stay pleased. She'd end up okay But despite all her promise I gotta be honest She's ten months sober today And what about Bertrand? King of the keg stand A work hard, play hard kind of guy Well you know that we'll miss him Cause he got a new position And the old traditions must die We said our goodbyes With tears in our eyes Still can't believe Jenny gave up This is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah. Next Chapter Podcasts.